Psalm number four, and these are the words of God for our consideration this morning. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. These are the words of God to us from the fourth psalm. Let's go together and ask God to help us as we study his word. Father, we're grateful for this text. We're grateful for the opportunity that you've allowed us to enjoy to come together this morning to be gathered as the church locally expressed here at Grace Church of the Valley and to give our attention and to submit our wills to your word. We recognize and acknowledge that our gathering together and even the changes that accompany your word and our interaction with your word as your people, all of these are works of your grace. These are all activities that you have granted to us, you have given to us apart from our merit. And so we come to this time in your word and I come to this time as 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 the proclaimer of your word. And we recognize collectively together that we only understand. And we only apply and we only love your truth because you have loved us when we were your enemies. You've loved us when we did not love you in return. You've set your affections upon us for the glory of your grace. And so we come to this time anticipating you working in us, anticipating the opportunity to worship you through our submission to your word. But we anticipate those things only because you have you have interjected into our lives. You have you have come to a crossroads with us. You have reached out to us as we were running away from you. And through your son's substitutionary life, death and resurrection. You have granted to us righteousness that we could not have earned. You've granted to us forgiveness that we could have never earned. You've granted to us eternal life that we had no claim to. And so we're grateful. And we come anticipating your blessings in your in, in this time in your word, not because we've gathered with some special ability in and of ourselves, but because your Holy Spirit is with us. So we're comforted to know that we're not alone, that you are with us, you've gathered here with us. We need not request your presence in this place because you indwell us. And so we lean upon, we 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 surrender to the Spirit and His work. Through your word. He has given us this word. We now ask that his his work through his word would be evident in our lives. 
So change us, mold us, affect us, Father. May we value Christ more highly. May we see your glory more clearly. May we depend upon your spirit more fully this morning because we have been together. So that your fame and the renown of your name would spread in our community, would spread in our valley, would spread around the world because you're at work here in our local church family. We're grateful for the promises that come with your word. We ask that they would be active now. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. I love my job. I love the opportunity to serve you. I love what God has set apart in my life as a passion and a desire. I love the confidence that comes from knowing that there are elders who have seen and watched and laid hands on me in commissioning. Um, I love the opportunity that pastoral ministry uh, makes available to me to relate to God's people and to those who need the gospel, who are not God's people. One of the favorite things uh, in my experience as a pastor, which fascinatingly enough is is coming up on 10 years. You know, I'm 14 now, so that means I started when I was four. So, no. Coming up in these years of experience is the opportunity to hear and to interact with people after we've studied a passage together. I love it. I, I love the opportunity to talk to you about what the text says and how it applies and where it's been confusing. And, and this week, I had the opportunity to do that, and this happens often in our grace group down in Southside where we meet. Uh, my wife and I and my, my daughters. And during our time together as a, as a grace group, and I'm sure you experience similar times like this in the various grace groups and in various fellowship opportunities that we have through the week, a question came up about some, some language that was used as we studied together from Psalm number 3. And I love it. I love to be asked, why did you keep using this phrase? Or, or why, did you, why did you seem to focus on this particular aspect? And this morning, I want to use that question to kind of bridge into the fourth psalm. The question was asked was, why last week did we talk so much about the covenant people of God or having a covenant relationship with God? All who are in a covenant relationship, all who are the covenant people of God experience these blessings as we saw David recounting them in the third psalm. What is it that that is wrapped up in that language. Why do, why do we use that? That's an unfamiliar terminology, perhaps, for our discussion in God's Word. The reason that we use that, or I use that particular language in the third psalm, is also the reason we'll use it in the fourth. David is communicating in a certain time frame, in a certain context historically, that sets him apart from us. There are some ways in which we gathered here, studying God's word, do not connect one-to-one with David. We know Christ. Recognize that David never knew Christ. He never saw Christ. He never knew of the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He, He never saw the one who would come and reign eternally on the throne of David. He anticipates that return now with full knowledge because he's in the presence of Christ. 
But when David penned the third and the fourth psalm, understand that he didn't come to his relationship with God in the same with the same set of information or the same realization and revelation that we relate to God. You see, we have a progressive revelation when we begin at the beginning When we carry through, the people of God are given more and more information until at the conclusion, God has said and revealed all that He will say and reveal. But there are points of connection that are very real with David, though David never knew Christ in his earthly life. And when he wrote about God as the covenant God of Israel, we do not relate, mostly as Gentile people gathered in a New Testament local assembly who know of Christ, who have the fullness of God's Word preserved for us, who have the presence of the Spirit universally. David experienced the Spirit's anointing work as king, but prayed in his sin that God would not take the Spirit from him. Psalm 51. You see, we never pray that because as God's people on this side of the cross, there are distinctions between us and David. But there are similarities and there are connection points that are unalterable. And primarily, it's that we are covenant people of God. God has set promises on us. He has entered into a relationship with us based upon His Word. And we, in response, have been given eyes to see, ears to hear, Hearts to respond in faith and to believe His Word. And when we believe Him and take His Word as truth, we are granted righteousness. This is no different than Abraham, who believed God. Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 tells us, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So David is a covenant child of God. He is a covenant person. Connected to God by the promises of God. Therefore, when we read these psalms, we have the opportunity to read them with eyes of fellowship in the covenant. Not only that, as we come to these psalms and as you read your Old Testament, let it be known that we never study our Old Testament without the lens of Jesus Christ. You see, the pinnacle of your Bible is the coming, the living, the dying, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming return of Jesus Christ. All of your Old Testament looks toward it. All of your New Testament, except for the parts accounting for it, look back toward the cross and look forward with anticipation to the consummation of Christ returning. So Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of of the scriptures and the gospel, the coming of Christ is the very middle of your Bible. Not by pages, but by content. So when we read the Old Testament, we cannot read the Old Testament without Christ. That doesn't mean that we have to read the Old Testament allegorically. Doesn't mean that we need to find the shape of the cross in the tabernacle. But it does mean that as we read the Pentateuch and the writings and the historical books and the prophetic books, that we have an eye that is always looking at Christ. That has a huge implication on the way we read and understand these Psalms. Because it connects us to David at a covenant level, which allows us to experience and to enjoy and to be overwhelmed with 
the blessings that come with being a child of God. And all the more, as we enjoy the fullness of the gospel in Jesus Christ. This fourth psalm is another powerfully applicable psalm for your life. I know for many of you, like me, there are some psalms that seem particularly difficult to relate to. And there are portions of the word of God that are challenging for us to relate to. How exactly do I connect to this part of God's word? And the psalms provide a number of opportunities for there to be some real challenges. There's some there's some real benefits to the psalms. There are portions that you've memorized from your first days in Christ. But what I love about this fourth psalm, really the third and fourth coupled together, is that we're in a scenario that is historical. David is being persecuted and pursued by his rebel son, Absalom. He's a king of a nation of Israel that is under God, as in they are God's nation. No other nation has ever experienced that. No other nation will experience it. Only the nation of Israel is God's chosen nation. He set his affection upon them. He's covenanted with them. And this is their king. And so at a number of levels, we find ourselves, I I believe, tempted or potentially frustrated by the context. I mean... None of us are kings. None of us are a part of chosen nations. None of us have rebel sons trying to kill us and we're hiding in caves and writing songs. So how is it that we would come to this section and find application through careful observation and interpretation, right? The three steps of our Bible study. We observe what the text says. We interpret what the text says so that we get the meaning of the text. And then we apply the text so that it alters the way we live. God has not given his word to merely build up knowledge apart from love and obedience and application that just puffs up with pride. So through observation and interpretation, how can we and can we come to meaningful application in the Psalms? And I would say yes, because we are the covenant people of God and we have a covenant relationship with our Christ. We have an all access pass to the Psalms. You can read the Psalms as a New Testament believer with all the fullness of their meaning and all the fullness of their blessings. You can relate directly to these Psalms. Do not, do not abandon and do not abuse the Psalms. I trust that our study in these first four is helpful at some level, some small level in your study of the Psalms. Some of the most familiar territory in our Bibles. This fourth psalm is unique from the other ones that we have studied already, the first three. Many believe that this psalm is to be coupled with Psalm 3 and there to be a morning and evening psalm. So the psalm number three is a morning song. You remember that it says in verse number seven, Arise, O Lord, and save me. Oh, my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. I'm sorry. Back in verse number five, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. uh, David rather is talking in the past tense. So I laid down and I slept and I woke up. That's morning. In Psalm number four, we're going to find that he says, I will lay down and I will sleep. Because God will sustain me. That's evening, looking toward the the night of rest. So many have coupled these two together 
whatever the case, it seems that the circumstances are the same. King David is suffering persecution and he is writing out a poem or singing for meditation to remind him of the truth. So for our consideration this morning, here is the one grand overarching theme that I trust will come flying home to us from this fourth psalm. Jesus Christ provides for us all the benefits of covenant grace from God. Jesus Christ provides for us all the benefits of covenant grace from God. Now, just so that we get the structure of the psalm, because our goal this morning is going to be a little different. We're not just going to study the structure. So I want to give you the structure, but then I really want to spend the bulk of our time talking about those benefits of covenant grace. So Jesus Christ supplies for us, provides for us all the benefits of covenant grace. And I want to see those in Psalm number four. But before we can see them, let's see the structure of what's happening in Psalm number four. First of all, David will pray. Verse number one, David is talking to God. He's praying and asking for help. The second part of the psalm begins in verse number two and it goes to verse number five where David confronts. Verses two through five, David is confronting his enemies. He's talking to his enemies. He's engaging them with the truth. He's speaking truth. He's singing truth to his enemies. And then in verse number Six down through verse number eight, David is proclaiming. He is he is first crying out and praying. He is then confronting his enemies and then he is declaring or proclaiming the truth about God. So he speaks to himself. He talks to God. He talks to the enemies. And then finally, he talks to himself. It's a simple structure. Three main divisions make up this psalm. If you were outlining it to see and observe what is here, I believe those would be three careful structural main points within this fourth psalm. Okay, so David prays, he confronts, he declares, he talks to God, he talks to the enemies, he talks to himself. This fourth psalm reminds me of my seminary professor's admonition to us to spend time in the psalms because the jewels lay on the surface often in the psalms. And this morning, I have one simple goal in declaring that Jesus Christ provides for us all the benefits of covenant grace from Yahweh. I simply want to scrape up the jewels of those benefits. What are the benefits that accompany God's covenant grace with us? Well, they're laying on the surface in Psalm number four. They're right there for us to take. We can just snatch them. We don't need to dig deeply. No, no machinery is needed. No special abilities are needed. We can find them, we can gaze at them, and by the Holy Spirit's work, we can be affected by them, having our lives transformed for the glory of God. So, Jesus Christ provides for us all the benefits of covenant grace from God. What is or what are those benefits of covenant grace? Well, let's study that together, okay? That will be the primary purpose of our study this morning. Number one benefit. Benefit number one, grace provides divine help. Grace, covenant grace from God to us as sinners provides divine help. Jesus Christ 
as the mediator of the covenant between you and God, sinful Gentile, holy creator of the universe, judge of all people, the mediator of that covenant, Jesus Christ provides this benefit. It is divine help. Notice David's prayer in verse number one. O Lord, O God of my righteousness, answer me when I call. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Don't miss any of these words in verse number one. David declares that God is the God of his righteousness. He addresses God declaring and asking for and proclaiming that that God needs to answer him. He is in need of help and he addresses God in verse number one, the second Part of the first line, O God of my righteousness. Let's be careful to consider this title for God. Because as the covenant people of God, this title has not changed. This relationship to the King of heaven, the creator of all that exists, has not changed. If we are in a loving covenant relationship with God if we are not under his wrath it is because he is the God of my righteousness David is not speaking here of God helping him to be righteous but rather that God himself has placed righteousness upon David this is an alien righteousness it is imputed to David It's granted to him. It's credited to him. It's put in his account from an outside source. And that source is God. God is David's righteousness. When David is in a cave and he's running from his rebel son and he's faced with the crumbling of his kingdom and all seems lost and his enemies are saying, God has no place for this individual. It's obvious that God has forsaken him. David says, no. This is the God of my righteousness. He will hear me. He must hear me and be gracious to me. Notice David's testimony in the second part of verse number one. You have given me relief when I was in distress. So based upon what you have done in the past, now be gracious and hear me today in the present. So there is divine help made available Through Jesus Christ for the covenant people of God. New Testament believer, there is divine help. First and foremost, righteousness granted to you from heaven. Secondly, relief from your distress from heaven. Grace and a listening ear to your prayers. David's words in verse number one remind us that there is help from the throne room of heaven that is only accessible for us through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't 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 quickly forget. Be careful to remind yourself that at one time you were alien to the promises. You had no hope. 
You were apart from the covenant love of God. But in His kindness, in the fullness of time, in the sending of His Son, He has grafted us in. He has brought us near. He's adopted us as sons and daughters. He has provided divine help for us through Christ. So, one benefit of covenant grace from God is divine help. In the eternal sense of our righteousness being granted to us, standing before the holy judge of heaven without fear because we've been made righteous by the holy judge of heaven. And temporally, there is relief for our distress. There is grace for our needs. There is hearing for our prayers. I'm reminded when David is crying out, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You relieved me before when I was in distress. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. Do you remember the thorn in the flesh? Paul prays three different times. Help me take this away. And the answer is, my grace is sufficient. The answer is no. That's the answer. But grace will be available for you to bring glory to my name in your distress. David says, help me, hear me, be gracious to me. You've done it in the past. Do it in the present. Because you alone are the one who's provided righteousness. You are the one who gives help. And you alone give help. This is a covenant child of God. Speaking the truth about the covenant blessings that come from God. Jesus Christ provides for us all the benefits of covenant grace. Benefit number one. Grace provides divine help. There are as many scenarios as there are people here this morning. And all of us need help. We need help. There is nowhere else to turn for divine help, for true, lasting help, eternal help. There's nowhere else to turn apart from Jesus Christ. Benefit number two. We see first benefit number one, grace provides divine help. Benefit number two, verses two through five, grace provides, covenant grace provides divine confidence. Now David is addressing his enemies in verses two through five. And we see him highlighting in his address that there is a divine confidence that's granted to him. It's a benefit of covenant grace from Yahweh. Jesus Christ makes way for us to enjoy divine confidence. Notice these words that David speaks to his enemies. Verse number two. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love empty words, vain words, worthless words, and seek after lies? We might be thinking that David is saying this because he wants it to end for himself. So David says, how long are you going to do this? Because I really need to know when this is going to stop. I'm oppressed. I'm suffering. I'm being persecuted. How long will this last? The way we would say, how much longer? Um, maybe you've been to a dentist office. It's dangerous. There's one of them in here. But they're, they're, you've been to a dentist office and you would have said it if they didn't have your mouth propped open with some contraption that was made for torture first then the dentist figured out they could use it too so you're held open and you're thinking in your mind and you would make guttural noises toward how much longer 
The reason we would want to know is because we want the pain to stop. Those little instruments of torture, those little hooks and things, we want that to stop. So we would think, well, that must be what David's doing here. On the, on the surface level, how long is this going to happen? How much longer do I have to put up with this? But that's not what David is saying. And we know that because we keep reading verse number three. Notice what David knows and what he tells his enemies. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. This is a logical question. How long are you going to keep doing this? Because there's something true that you need to know about. You're wasting your time. I am set apart by God for God and he hears me. That is the God of the universe. The one who is sovereign over all things. The one who holds me in his hand. Who captures my tears in a bottle. Who has never left me. Who never sleeps. Who has all power. All wisdom. I'm his. So how long are you going to go on doing this? How long are you going to chase down these vain words and these empty lies? How long are you going to keep tormenting me? How long are you going to shame me? What you must know, verse number three, is that there is divine confidence in me because of the covenant grace of God. I am known by God. These are fascinating words in verse number three. The Lord, that is Yahweh. That's the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. Let's not miss any of those words. It is Yahweh God. It is covenant God who has set apart. And that's the same word that we would get holiness from. Holy living is set apart from something and to something else. So set apart from sin and set apart to the character quality of God himself. So same idea here. Set apart. Pulled out. That's holy. Sanctified. Same word. So covenant God has set apart. Called out. Put in its own category. The godly. Which we know are only the godly. Because he has granted to them. Righteousness. And his grace. For himself. God has saved you, brothers and sisters, through Jesus Christ. He has brought you into a covenant relationship to have all of you for himself. Now, there are some within the world, haters of God, those who would twist scripture and seek to undermine it, who would say that God must be the, the, the most arrogant, self-centered individual on the planet. He is the most self-centered individual on the planet because there is no other one higher than him to which he could be centered. He is not arrogant. Because he is holy in all of his attributes. But there is no other higher purpose for which he could exist. He is self-existent for his own glory. He is the end of all things. He is the highest of the high. Therefore, when he sets apart a covenant people, he sets them apart for himself. If he has saved you, if he's brought you into a relationship with himself through his son, he's done it for his namesake. You no longer exist for your namesake. He has saved you for his namesake. And there is confidence in that. Because those ones 
And those ones alone have the ear of their covenant God. He loves them. He knows them. He watches them. He shields them. He hears them. David says, how long will you keep doing this, enemies? Know this. I'm a godly one. Because God is the God of my righteousness. And he set me apart for himself. He hears me when I call on him. Verse number four, he continues to his enemies. Be angry. Probably better understood as agitation or angst is an old word for this. Be agitated. Agitation. uh, I remember when I was a kid, my mom would talk about the agitation cycle on the wash machine. That was basically when the wash machine would just go like this and all the clothes would somehow get cleaner in theory because of the agitation cycle. Be agitated. He tells the enemies, there should be something going on inside of you because you are not a godly one set apart for God. You are outside of his covenant. So be agitated, be displaced, be disconcerted. Stop sinning. Do not sin. David here commends these wicked ones to a life of repentance and faith. Notice these repentant descriptions. Be agitated. Stop sinning. Ponder in your hearts what you're doing. On your beds. And be silent. Stop talking. These are all evidences of repentance. They are the work of repentance. There's an internal recognition of the problem which agitates, which sets us in a situation that is very uncomfortable. And as we consider without continuing in our sin, we consider what it is that we've done. We find this response and offer Right sacrifices, verse number five. And put your trust, your confidence in Yahweh, in the Lord. So David here has amazing divine confidence and compassion. Here he is writing out a psalm. He's in the midst of suffering. There are real people really trying to kill him. And they're really his son and his friends. And he speaks to them from his heart. And he has amazing confidence. Stop what you're doing. I'm God's. He's hearing me. Be agitated. Stop sinning. Ponder your ways. Be silent. Humble yourselves. Offer sacrifices for forgiveness. And trust Yahweh. This is amazing confidence. Coming from a man who has been put out of his own castle who is fleeing on foot, living in the most severe circumstances. Quick note on verse number five, offer right sacrifices. The sacrifice that God receives is the contrite heart. And the fullness of the right sacrifices, that is the sin offerings, these are Israelite people who needed to be set right with God. The fullness has come. The once for all sacrifice has been made. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. For the enemies of God, they must be agitated at their circumstance, being set apart and wicked against him. Cease from their sinning, ponder in their hearts and consider their scenario. 
Be silent in humility. Look to the sacrifice of Christ. And trust in the covenant God of heaven. This is divine confidence. And it is a gift that comes with covenant grace. This bold confrontation of the enemies of God is a fruit of the grace of God at work in the child of God. David's compassion is God-born compassion for those who need grace. And his theology is God-informed for what is coming for his foes. Let me ask you a question. Ask myself a question. When was the last time you or I spoke to an enemy with this kind of clarity and conviction? Put another C with this kind of compassion. An enemy, one who has it out for you, who wants to defame you and shame you and make you look bad and make your God look bad, who speaks poorly of your Christ and who speaks poorly of you, who wrongs you, who cheats you, who disregards you, disrespects you, who does not reciprocate love to you. When was the last time we addressed with this kind of confidence, this kind of boldness and this kind of compassion? Enemies of our God and enemies of our own being. David is enjoying a benefit of covenant grace with this confidence. This is ours in Christ because Jesus Christ provides us all the benefits of covenant grace from Yahweh. We've been grafted in. We receive these blessings. We have full access passes to the fourth psalm. When we suffer persecution, when we are put out, when we are suffering at the hands of others or the lips of others. We can lean upon this covenant grace and its benefits, help from heaven, confidence in the face of our enemies. And finally, in verses six through eight, we find that this covenant grace through Jesus Christ provides divine perspective. We have help, confidence, boldness, courage. But the sweetest of these gifts is this perspective that we can carry with the covenant people of God throughout the history that's recorded on the pages of the scriptures. A divine perspective. This hits us really close to home, brothers and sisters, whether or not we're suffering this morning whether or not we're we're in the crucible of suffering now or preparing, God is preparing us through these studies for suffering that is about to come, whether we've just concluded a a very severe time of suffering and we're still feeling the after effects of that, or whether we're in the midst of blessing. Whatever the case, this final stanza and this reminder that covenant grace provides divine perspective comes very close to home. Listen to these words from David. There are many who say. Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. David says in verse number six, there are a bunch of people who are saying who have some relationship to God, who know about God, who know he exists, who know he's the creator. There there are a bunch of people saying, when is something good going to happen? Look at me, God, please. I'd really like something good to happen. As in, I would like possessions to happen. Or I'd like 
a better circumstance to happen. I just want some good things to happen. Who will show us some good? This is the normative cultural perspective. Now, this is fading in our culture because we are progressing quickly towards paganism. There are many people who are not even acknowledging that there is a God who know nothing of the creator of the universe, who have no deistic structure in which they exist. All right. So that there is a God. He's the one true God. Whether they know Christ and know that God. They still recognize him as existent. But this is still the cultural norm. And certainly within our valley, this is a cultural norm. But this is not this is not normative for the people of God. Perhaps you have said or you hear other people saying, well, things could be worse, I suppose. Maybe we've said this to each other on the patio. How are you doing in your workplace? How's your job situation? Are you are you barely hanging on? Are you thriving? Or are you struggling? Well, I guess things could be worse. I mean, if I'm looking at my finances right now, and I'm looking at the stock market, I'm looking at my investments, they could be worse. There was a Great Depression. (laughs) I mean, it could be worse. This is cultural. This is normal. I mean, mean, things could be worse than they are. Or, for those who have a covenant relationship with God, things could not be better. Things could not be better. Because things... Things are not the temporal scenarios in which we exist. We exist with a covenant relationship that is sealed in heaven. We have a Savior who is in heaven. Our minds are set on things above. Our eyes are focused in faith on the one we have not yet seen who is in the heavens. We have a Spirit who speaks to us through the word of the heavenly realities. And so our scenario in life Everything that we see, we see through the grid of heavenly realities. So things could not be better. Because the lenses through which I look at my life are covenant grace lenses. God has given me righteousness through His Son. God hears me, knows me, has set me apart for Himself. God is for me. Who could be against me? Am I struggling in my home? Is my relationship with my spouse difficult and trying? Yes. Is there grace? Yes. Am I suffering with sickness? Or poverty? Or coming poverty? Perhaps. But there's grace. I am made right with God. Things could not be better because of Christ. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Everything that happens works out for good to those who are the called ones. Because the ones who are called have been chosen to be conformed to the image of their Savior. So God saved you and every circumstance that is going on in your life, He is working for good In that, He is making you look more like Christ. That's grace. 
You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Every trial is strengthening our faith. James reminds the scattered sheep who are suffering in the diaspora. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Do we share this divine perspective? Because this is a benefit of covenant grace. This comes through Jesus Christ. We get to see our life when we're hiding in the cave. Because our rebel son and his rebel troops have run us out of our temple and out of our, our sanctuary and out of our castle where we've ruled. And we're, we're running on the, on the go. We're running for our lives. These are the words of David. God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. I mean, this is, this is so, so countercultural, brothers and sisters. This, this is American right here. When will something good happen to me? Like, and, and nine out of ten times, hit the lottery. Why would that be something good? Because then we would have endless amounts of money to get endless amounts of things and to do endless amounts of adventures. That would be good. No. You would never experience with all the money, all the possessions, all the power, all the status. You can imagine You would never experience the joy in the heart of the one who's in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Poor, no status, beaten, shipwrecked, counted for dead, abandoned by friends, persecuted by friends and enemies and family alike. Joy. This is a divine perspective and it is the benefit of Of all who are in a covenant relationship with God. Do you live this way? Do I live this way? Are we countercultural? Do we look at the people at the at the grocery store or in in, in the fast food restaurant or our family members at the reunion? Do we show up to watch the football game and say, I can't believe what God is doing in my life? How are you doing, man? I'm doing so much better than I deserve. God is in a covenant relationship with me through his son. Let me tell you, that'll kill the conversation. You'll be able to say, I've got more joy in my heart than any person who has every possession they've ever wanted. Unfortunately, we don't often live in this perspective. In fact, we chase the grain and the wine. While Christ has made available to us eternal benefits in his covenant grace. David ends the psalm. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David's confidence, his perspective, his view of life is completely consumed with his relationship to God and the benefits and the blessings that come through that relationship. David is going to rest after singing this song. He's going to go to sleep. He's got thousands of people hunting for him so that they get to be the one that kills him. What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that steals your sleep? Be careful, brothers and sisters, that it is not that it is not a backhanded distrust that keeps you up at night. David's going to sleep and he's going to rest 
And if God sustains him, he's going to get up in the morning. Because he has a covenant-keeping God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's his shield. He is his safety. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said that the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night. Giving perfect peace. You live this. Is this the testimony of your life? Because this is gospel living. God has permanently altered my relationship to him. I was an enemy. Now I'm a friend. I was a rebel. Now I'm a son. And because of that, one of the benefits of that covenant relationship that he's initiated, that he's worked, that he's created through crushing his own son, that he's done by giving new life and giving me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to believe and and to place my faith in Christ. One of the benefits is a perspective that's informed by those gospel realities. David has it. That perspective is sustaining him in the most severe trials. So if Jesus Christ has ushered us into a covenant relationship with God, the same kind of covenant relationship that David is reveling in in this song, how likely are others to know it by your perspective in suffering? How do you talk about your family and your home? Moms, wives, how do you talk about your role and your responsibilities within your home? Couldn't couldn't get much worse, but I suppose it could. Where God is gracious and kind, I have all that I need. And I have joy that goes beyond my wildest expectations. How about at work? How about with your possessions? Do you find yourself constantly looking for the next possession? Do you receive a gift from God to be enjoyed with gratitude? And within moments, you're thinking about the next one? My little girl, my little sweet Carissa, three years old, she's just getting to where she can articulate her little dead heart. So we go to a store like yesterday at Walmart. And she says right away when she gets out of the car, Daddy, can, can I hold you? That's awkward, but I see sure. And I pick her up. So that's first. And then we get in and Daddy, can I not go in the cart? Sure, that's fine. So Daddy and Sis are going to go look for something. Mommy and Addie are going to go look for something else. Daddy, can I ride on your shoulders? Sure, you can ride on my shoulders. Daddy, what's that over there? Well, that's a door blanket. Okay. Daddy, can I have that door blanket? No, you cannot have that door blanket. Take maybe a step. Daddy, what's that? That's a door cup. Daddy, can I have the door cup? No, you can't have the door cup. We go from thing to thing to thing to thing because my little sweet sis has a heart that says, that will make me happy. So can I have that? 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 And our prayer for sweet sis is that her eyes will be opened and that she will experience this perspective. That it is not that, 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 that that makes life happy. It is the covenant relationship that God has initiated with us. And everything that we have, the possessions that he's abundantly given to us, are for his kingdom, his glory, with gratitude from our hearts to be enjoyed. And I wonder how much 
does my life shout, verse number seven? Sis, there's more joy in my heart than we could ever have if we had all the toys you can imagine. Is that what she sees in daddy? How about mommy? How about your relationships? Do we live this gospel reality? Do we chase leisure? Do we dream of vacation? All we want to do is do something other than what God has placed on our plates to do. Because then we'll be happy. I'm just trying to get through the week so that then I'll be happy when I get to the weekend. That's pagan. That's not biblical. Covenant grace provides a divine perspective. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ ushers into our presence all of the benefits of covenant grace from God. Full access pass to the fourth psalm. There may be some here this morning who have no access to the fourth psalm. Because you are not in a covenant relationship with God. You must, you must turn away from what you think is best. And you must believe what God has said. Or you will never experience these covenant blessings. And worse, you will experience God's holy anger for an eternity against you. You must believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, who lived in perfect obedience to God's law. You must believe that He died in your place, bearing God's anger for your sin on Himself at the cross. You must believe that on the third day, He was resurrected to life eternal and has conquered death so that you might receive eternal life as his child. You must believe what God has said is the good news. It's the message of Jesus Christ. Or these covenant blessings, they are they're inaccessible to you. There is no hope. Apart from Christ, look to Christ, unbelieving sinner, turn from your own way. Submit yourself, die to yourself and believe what you cannot see about Jesus Christ. There is only one name under heaven whereby men are saved. It's the name Christ that is Messiah, the promised one, Jesus For most of us this morning, we are believing people of God. We have an all-access pass to David's song about the covenant blessings from God. This help and confidence and perspective is ours. It's won by the substitution of Jesus at the cross and by that empty grave. It's ours. We have this. This is available to us. We have it in more fullness than David ever experienced. We have the Spirit who's present with us confirming these things and working in us both to will and to do what brings God pleasure. Philippians 2.13 But we must fight for gospel living. We are not in heaven yet. We have uniforms on that should be expected to be dirty and bloody because we're in a battle. A spiritual battle. A battle for our mind, a battle for our will, a battle against our flesh. 
Will you renew your mind with the truth? Will you allow even the fourth psalm to renew your mind this week? Put it on flashcards. Put it on three by fives on the dashboard. Put it on your computer screen. Put it somewhere. We have to fight for the gospel to take effect, for the renewing of our mind to continue, for the likeness to Christ to continue and to move forward. We fight with the means of grace. That's the word of God. Time in prayer with God. Secret worship before God. Fellowship with God's people. Interacting about God with God's people. Gathering for collected worship. Remembering the sacrifice through the table. Enjoying and being strengthened through the testimonies of baptism. These are means of grace for us. We must exercise ourselves for godliness. Inform your minds with the truth. Fight the lies of the enemy that would tell you the opposite of what the word informs you. And look to Christ. He's the fullness of the blessings. Father, thank you for this fourth psalm. Thank you for this study. Thank you for this summer, end of the summer in the psalms. Thank you for the help in seeing these psalms through Christ, through Jesus, being being able to to glean from them the blessings and the benefits of, of, of those who have a covenant relationship with you. It's mind-blowing that we're your people. We love you. We love your word. We love your people. We love your kingdom. This is, this is beyond belief. Apart from you. Working in grace toward us. Establishing a relationship that we would never have established. Seeking us when we would never seek you. Drawing us when we would never come toward you. Sacrificing your son. For we could never earn our righteousness before you. We are in awe and we are grateful. For your benefits and your blessings. Because of your grace. Teach us to obey your truth. Teach us to live in the truth. Your word is truth. Shape and mold us through it. Renew our minds so that this week, this first week of September would be set apart unto you. This is the purpose for which you've called us. To bring glory and fame to your name by living the gospel in our lives, strengthening one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, and extending the message of Jesus Christ with credibility to the community in which we live. Teach us to obey you, to talk to our neighbors, to talk to our co-workers, to embrace our responsibility as your people this week because we are the recipients of covenant grace. And it comes with great blessings. Help from you. Confidence from you. And perspective from you. We ask most importantly this morning for those who do not know you. May they come to a saving knowledge. May they repent. May they turn away from their own way. May they leave behind their own wisdom. And may they believe what they cannot see about Jesus. So that they might be yours. Open their eyes, Father, we ask, for only you can do it. We'll give you praise. We'll give you glory for all that you do. For the exaltation of the name of your Son, through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
who's been with us and continues to be with us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen.